after Governor Kathy Hochul's efforts to advance a grand housing compact in New York were rebuffed by the legislature in 2023, the Democratic leader took unilateral action last summer to spur new housing creation and is now advancing a New York City-specific housing agenda in her budget. To discuss these efforts and much more, we're joined once again by the Technocrats Technocrat, New York Home and Community Renewal Commissioner, Ruth Ann Visnauskas. Welcome back to the show, Commissioner. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Well, we're speaking on uh, Thursday, February 8th, about a day after the governor held a press conference in the Capitol announcing the first 20 municipalities be identified as quote-unquote pro-housing communities, which uh, is supposed to give them an advantage in applying for about $650 million in discretionary grants from the state. What sort of advantage will these 20 towns, cities, and villages get in vying for state aid? And when will they be realizing that benefit? Is that something that's happening now, or is it with future money down the road? Great question. We're really excited about the pro-housing community sort of rollout. As you might remember, she, the governor announced in July a series of executive actions that she was going to take to increase housing supply and to do what she could on that front. And so we opened the program in September, right after Labor Day, and we've been working with localities on their applications. We were very excited that 20 of them got through the sort of process and were certified. And then we have, as of yesterday, we had a little over 60 additional letters of intent. We actually got another 10 in yesterday, so we have over 70 additional letters of intent, which means municipalities that have reached out and are starting the process with us to submit the pieces of the application. It's a fairly simple application. We wanted that it to be simple for localities so they could apply and get certified, but there's a little bit of back and forth with us. And so that's happening for the other 70 localities. Now, once they get certified, they will get preference and sort of priority in the funding programs, as you mentioned. It's over $650 million, a series of programs run by ESD, uh, one run by the Department of Transportation, uh, a program called Main Street, which HCR, my agency, uh, runs. And as a sort of a shift from last year where the structure was that you would get priority. This year, the governor's come out and said, actually, you have to have it as a requirement in order to apply for those programs. And those programs include sort of two big ones that people might know about are the Downtown Revitalization Initiative, DRI, and the New York Forward Program. So these are things that get announced a lot. They've been a series of them getting announced this week. So we're excited that we're really saying to communities in order to access these governmental state programs, we want you to come in and certify with us that you're a pro-housing community. So we're looking forward to continuing to certify more communities. Yeah, the certification process seems to have two different tracks. Can you walk us through those two different avenues that communities can pursue? So there's three easy steps in the process. The first one is a letter of intent. The second is you give us a, a series of pieces of data that are primarily your zoning code, your zoning permits, and building permits. Um, and so we want a real transparent process as we go through this, and we're going to be putting all of that permit and zoning data up on a centralized website so that people can see the localities that are permitting housing and those that are not. And then the third is sort of the two track that you mentioned. The third thing you have to do is if you, you can get certified if you have grown and the growth target is 1% for downstate communities and a third of a percent for upstate communities, you can do it on a rolling basis. So if you've, you know, grew two years ago a bunch, but not as much last year, we'll look back three years and have kind of a rolling look at the growth. So you can either grow, have grown and that will get you certification. Or if you haven't grown, you can pass a local resolution. And we put the resolution um, up on our website. It's available for folks to see and adopt. And it has a series of 
affirmations in and around reducing regulation, reducing barriers to housing, affirmatively furthering fair housing principles, streamlining processes. So it has a, a series of statements that a locality would sort of ascribe to that would make them a pro-housing community. And as many people know and think about, you know, one of the things that is a barrier to localities permitting housing, it can be a lot of regulation and streamlining, changing your zoning, making things more as of right. So I think we want localities, even if they can't grow, to be expressing to us through this process that they are committed to those principles. Well, during the governor's press conference promoting this issue, a representative from Mineola on Long Island essentially said that they're getting rewarded for doing what they've been doing as a community for two decades already and had no plans on changing. So in a case where the money is potentially just supporting the status quo, what is the state benefit to the pro-housing community label for a community like Mineola? So I would say a couple things. You know, Mineola has done an amazing job. And I think we are really happy when localities like that will talk about how actually growing their housing stock has been so beneficial for them, whether that's for their seniors or for their kids coming back from college that want to find a place to live, or if it's just that it's made their downtown more vibrant because they have apartments above stores, whatever, in which in Mineola, they've done a, a lot of sort of downtown residential so I think that we love localities like Mineola to really be sort of leading by example and, and sort of saying to other localities who might be afraid of change, afraid of growth, afraid of density, that we aren't talking about a density that's sort of out of scale to your locality. Look at places like Mineola that have done a wonderful job in growing their housing stock as a model. I think our hope is that as time goes on, more and more things may get added to this program. So I think for a place like Mineola... Um, in other places, it may have already gotten a DRI or a New York Forward. We would say going forward, we are going to look to increase the resources that are available to pro-housing communities so that it is a benefit to them. You mentioned that at least initially, there was a prioritization of pro-housing communities as envisioned by the governor. And now there is a plan from the governor to ensure that you have to be a pro-housing community to be considered for this pot of money moving forward. Is that something that the governor is going to impose via an executive order? Or is there plans to introduce that language in a technical amendment? Because I feel like I've heard multiple times from my Times Union colleague, Josh Solomon, that uh, he hasn't seen anything to actually spell out that mandate and that that sort of carving out of uh, non-pro-housing communities from discretionary money moving forward. So, so how will that actually be implemented? Um, I believe we'll see some, I think there are some changes in the budget um, language just, just um, um, to reflect that we have the flexibility to do that in case it was in question as to whether we could. And I think whether or not that gets uh, strengthened or modified will probably be part of the budget process itself. But so it's not in the actual executive budget now, it'll be what in technical amendments potentially? Uh, well, I think it'll probably happen as part of the budget negotiations in okay. general, but I think there is some language change in there in the initial around some sort of May language that was in there that was meant to be a nod to this idea. Gotcha. And you mentioned the pot of money that's there. Right now, it's a little bit north of $650 million. Considering how many municipalities there are that are vying for it, that money might not necessarily be a game changer for some of these communities. might not be a big enough carrot per the uh, prop that the governor used for her press conference. Is there a bigger number that is actually envisioned? Are there other streams of revenue that the state is planning on tying to this, like maybe the aid to municipalities? 
We are trying to be thoughtful as we go through this. We aren't trying to sort of preclude communities as much as we are trying to reward communities that do the right thing. And so I think we'll see how the budget how the budget plays out, whether or not there's a conversation about additional funding programs getting added to that. You know, as, since we did it um, last year, it's within the governor's authority to add additional discretionary programs to the pro-housing communities. You know, as I said, we opened up the application in September and here we are in February. And I think we want a little bit of time to pass to see how the program works and how we're going probably before we make other big changes. Given the review process that you laid out for actually certifying a community and given the scope of communities that are out there, how fast can your agency even process these claims? I mean, if everybody submitted tomorrow, I have to imagine that would create quite a backlog in actually certifications. Uh, We've committed to reviewing the applications and getting to certification within 90 days. And for this first batch, it went a little longer only because we were holding for sort of the announcement, but we feel fully comfortable that we can certify folks within the 90-day timeframe. We're we're superhuman (laughs) over here at HCRD. You've been eating all those carrots. (laughs) So the idea that uh, supply increasing it will result in lower prices is this sort of supply and demand uh, equation that we've all learned at some point in our schooling. But take a community like Saratoga Springs, where I live, where the increase in supply has just meant you have a more expensive supply and it hasn't really trickled down the line to more affordable housing in the city. So how do we ensure that these pro-housing policies, that the efforts to spur on more home growth is actually bringing down prices or ensuring that some prices in the future are more affordable? So I would say a couple of things. Certainly in Saratoga, um, the increase in supply is is um, matched by an increase in demand, right? It's certainly a place that is growing um, a lot. And uh, I think the um, certainly when I am up there, you know, many businesses are struggling to have housing close enough for their workers to afford. And, and that's not a story that's particular to Saratoga alone, right? There's many localities around the state where people can't find people to work in businesses because there's no housing available within a reasonable commuting distance. What I would say is that middle of late last year, the Pew Foundation came out with this great uh, piece of data and a report uh, looking at a locality in Westchester and at the impact of the increase in their housing supply and the uh, reduction in rental rates, um, there was a and so showing that as supply increased, um, rents did go either held steady, went down, and and I think in all cases the rate of increase went down. Um, and then there have been subsequent studies that have come out that have looked at places like um, St. Paul, Minneapolis, and some other cities around the country where, where they also have done more significant zoning reforms that have led to increases in supply. And they see the same, you know, going back to your school learning, they see the same impact, which is that as supply goes up, the price goes down, the rate of the increase of of rent goes down on multiple fronts and depending on sort of the study you're looking at. So, you know, we can um, debate it with people, but but I think we feel comfortable that the data has proven out in not only in other um, states, but right here in New York and Westchester, that that that, is, that impact does and is sort of the key to reducing housing pressures for people and reducing prices. Well, looking elsewhere in the budget with a hard left turn, 
Is there any new money that the governor is proposing to spend on upgrades to homes so older New Yorkers or people with disabilities can pay for work that would allow them to remain independent, whether that's putting in a ramp that they might not have otherwise been able to afford or other sort of accommodations in their home, the types of things that will keep them, say, out of much more expensive nursing homes? Uh, It's a great question. And we um, at HDR run a series of programs that do just that, um, that are, we often are working with either localities or working with nonprofits locally who are running programs that provide grants to homeowners, um, seniors, veterans, Medicaid recipients, um, with a couple different programs uh, to make sure that they can make accessibility modifications to their home so they can age in place. It's a great program. It has actually been around in New York state for um, many years um, and has been sort of successfully, you know, running and, and sort of implemented. So I don't think there's any new funding in those programs this year, other than the sort of recurring uh, budget money that we get every year to run those. But it's certainly an important part for us in in, in the housing spectrum of it's not just uh, building new housing for us. It's also making sure that people can stay stably housed, even as their, you know, circumstances change as they may age in place. Is it safe to assume that if there was additional money available for this, it would be utilized and ultimately save the state money down the road and prevent other more expensive housing costs? I think that uh, we would always argue that when people can stay stably housed, whatever that is, right, whether for whatever reason, whether that's a senior who needs a ramp or whether that's a sort of slightly a family that's unstable because of a medical interruption or a work interruption, um, it always costs less to keep people housed than it does to have them cycle into the homeless system, the shelter system, into you know the sort of the DSS system, depending on where you are. Um, so yes, I, I don't think there's any, I don't think we would ever argue that it isn't less expensive uh, to keep people stably housed than, uh, and to make those types of investments. And, and we do those, um, as you are probably are familiar, we ran a a program during the pandemic that looked at really unstable sort of homeowners in sort of high poverty areas that had real home repair needs that in some cases had uh, tax arrears. Um, and we did this in, in Buffalo. And then we last year expanded that program to be statewide on the same theory, right, of where people have vulnerable housing situations, bad conditions, you know, beyond taxes, whatever that may be, that we, it's a smarter investment for us to keep those low-income New Yorkers in their homes, stably housed, and then the alternative. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. We've been speaking with New York Homes and Community Renewal Commissioner Ruth Ann Visnauskas. Commissioner, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.